Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today Simon Graham Soonis and I did our best to pick through the bones of a board draw at Anfield, as well as the destructive scenes outside the ground. Meanwhile, we send our best wishes to Tom Lockyer, who collapsed on Saturday afternoon as Luton took on Bournemouth. Former Newport County captain Fraser Franks helps us debate whether or not Lockyer's career may now be in jeopardy. And Rangers have their first trophy of the Clement era following their League Cup win at the weekend. Graham tells us why he's so impressed with the Belgian. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Mr. Soonis, good morning. Good morning. You're getting used to the idea again of coming through the reception here at the news building and up and yeah, joining us. Getting the gym nice and early, get myself angry, yeah. Yeah, to face you too. Yes, that's fine. Do you, do you need that? You need to get in the gym and get powered up and get nasty before you come in and join us. See, when I, when I was a manager, I always liked to go in the gym the day of a game. I don't. Maybe it's to relieve the the pressure a bit. But no, I, if I have a, if I wake up in the morning, I'm not feeling good. I go in the gym. And if I've got maybe a difficult phone call to make, I meet someone that I'm not terribly thrilled about. Um, I, I go in the gym and it sort of. It helps me get ready for that challenge. Okay. And it's endorphins you're, flying around. You're trying to persuade us you have been in the gym this morning before you no, came I in. I was, that was, no, but I do go in the gym <laughs> every day. Okay. But I'm not in here. All right. Well, listen, we're all friends in here. This will be fine this morning. There's no problem on the horizon, as far as I gather. How are you, my good friend? I'm okay. Thank Everything you. all right? Everything's all right. Wall to wall football over the weekend? Uh, no, wall to wall pantomimes and Polo Expresses. All right. And Wishmases and everything else. Lovely. Yes. Lovely. Yes. I must admit, I, I, like everybody else, Graham, built myself up for Liverpool Manchester United and thought it was going to be a goal fest very much in favour of Liverpool. But as can happen, it didn't work out that way. No, everyone thought that. Um, why did it happen? Man United had a game plan, which you can understand them approaching that, 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 that game in particular the way they did. Uh, Liverpool had a bad day at the office in terms of the last third. I thought the football was good enough. They kept getting to the um, opposition's box time and time again. I think possession tells you that, efforts tell you that. 
Man United no corners, I think Liverpool 12 corners. So it wasn't a problem getting up to the edge of the box. But that final pass from Liverpool was missing. And that can happen. Yeah. That can that can happen. Yeah. Um, I wonder what it tells us more about. Uh, does it tell us more about Manchester United's character, Simon, or more about Liverpool's title shortcomings? Um, I wasn't one going into that game assuming that Liverpool were going to hand United their head. We all know that United are capable of turning up in games. The problem with United is that they're not capable of turning up in enough games and often in games when you expect them to do better than they do, and we've seen that in the Champions League. Um, I don't think it tells us about anything. I think United are a capable side that are sixth in the league and will play in individual games and have a little bit of resolution about them at times because we've seen them come back from adversity, play a game in a, in a fashion like the game against Chelsea, and everyone goes, aha, the thing's been righted. And, you know, Liverpool... Uh, against Man United is one of those fixtures, arguably one of the biggest games in English football. And every now and again, it throws out an anomaly, an anomaly that Graham got to dine out on last year with Neville and his little crowd when they beat them seven. But that doesn't happen very often. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that the game ended the way it did. But if you look at the nature of, of of Liverpool's dominance of the game, to have 34 attempts on goal, it tells you it's just a little bit of profligacy, and that's about it. I don't think. I mean, Liverpool. This title race is a long way from being run. We were in the same position this time last year. Yeah, same people, same faces, same spaces, same potential I'm, challenges about Manchester City, same debates going on. I think it does tell you a little bit. What does it tell us? Well, it tells you how how um, you know Man United, as you as you said, doesn't they don't turn up in big games. You know they don't beat the teams in the top half of the table. Um, they have turned up at Anfield yesterday with a game plan, and I fully understand why they've played like that because they're not in a good place right now. And I think for them, for a Man United team to play like that is is disappointing for their supporters. I don't think it tells us anything other than the the strikers, the forward players at Liverpool yesterday were just not on it. The amount of overhead passes they were making, especially in the first eye, Slobber's eye, Slobber's eye, had um, his horse came in a Liverpool shirt. Um, the midfield just didn't have that, that key to the door to open it and, and create killer chances because they have a lot of half chances. But I think, it, for me, I learned nothing about Liverpool. I still think they're going to be in, in with a big shout to win this league. And I think it tells you a fair bit about where Man United are right now in terms of lacking in, lacking in quality, lacking in belief, lacking in, in confidence. I think that tells you exactly where they are right now. But if, you, if you're going after the negative like side of United, Graham, you know, they left yesterday. That was like a win for them yesterday. Yeah, and they should be happy with that, and they will be happy with that. Um but I just it tells you how how far off the mark Man United are right now when they go there and are happy to play like that and are happy with digging a result out like that. We'll hear, hear from Ten Hag in a second. This was Klopp post match. Thirty five finishes, an eight on target. Then you see there's a little bit of a, a mismatch. We should have double digits at least um, um, then there, and then maybe we would have scored that, that that's clear but with the chance were big enough so it's like I would say really unlucky we were with Trent's finish but besides that it was all okay so the, the start of the game was the best we had the counter press we played was the best we had and then we were not calm enough in decisive moment every point you take is important football is about result and we could have uh, win even today uh, if we take the, the chances from Ganacho and especially from Rasmus Hoyland, uh, that were probably the best chances of the game, we could even have win. But we take this point, uh, we are pleased with the point because when you play against Liverpool and they are in a very good form uh, here in Anfield, uh, they are always very strong. 
and they will always score and yeah, we, we avoided that. We stopped them playing, uh, we stopped them creating chances, we stopped them scoring, so uh, especially the defending part from the team, uh, so all 11 on the pitch were very good. I mean, you look at the stats game, we always do this, Liverpool shots 34, Manchester United 6. Uh-huh. So Klopp's saying mismatch. I suppose he would. But it was nil-nil at the end. It was a point yeah, apiece. Yeah. You see, you're going, we're going to talk about Van Dyke's interview as well. Yeah. Jürgen's interview. It's born out of frustration. They fancy themselves. When you have that much of the ball, you're constantly on the front foot. Um, you're thinking you should have won the game. There was a couple of chances in the second half when Man United broke on them. So when you're out there as a player, that that comes into your mind as well. Let's not get caught on the break. But I... I, I if I was if I was involved at Liverpool today, nothing there's nothing to shout about. This is not for Liverpool. For forget it was Man United yesterday. This is not a new thing for this Liverpool team. And the Liverpool teams I played in, where teams came and sat in, and they got they were delighted if they dug out a point. Deal with it. You just have to deal with it. You know that teams are not going to come on, come out and play an open. Mm. Game of football against you. you so you would, you would say yesterday's result tells you more about anywhere. Manchester United's character, definitely, Liverpool. than it does about Liverpool's title yeah, shortcomings. Well, you, you think Liverpool are simply, right bang in there for the almost title? Definitely. Let me tell you, but Liverpool, Manchester United way off it. Liverpool, will, yeah, well, yeah, country mile. Liverpool will play the exact same or try and play the exact same way in every game of football to play between now and the end of the season. And as long as that, as Jurgen is manager of that team, they will try and get on the front foot and outscore you. And that includes when they play Man City. For Man United, if not one of the biggest football clubs in the world, they they are in a place where they're having to turn up and, and try and nick games. This is Man United who have spent a billion pounds in the last 10 years. I think that tells you everything you need to know about Man United. They're not in a good place right now. and you, People can dress it up, but your eyes don't lie. You're witnessing it most weeks where they're so far off matching Man City, matching Liverpool... You have to see Arsenal and possibly Tottenham creeping into that group. They're a country mile of those teams. Well, you, for you, Man United, for yeah. Man United supporters, it, it, it must be painful right now for them. And the Man United supporters will not have enjoyed yesterday. They will enjoy digging out a, digging out a result and getting a point. In the bigger picture, stand back tomorrow and say, how, many, how can we pull out that every week if you're Man United? There's Darren in Wiltshire. Graham, United had two clear-cut chances, Hoyland and Ganacho. As Ten Hag said, the best chances of the game, we could have won it. Liverpool were limited to run long range strikes. It wasn't it wasn't long range strikes. The stats tell you everything. Mm. Um of course I, I just alluded to it there when you're out in the pitch in that second half, you know, when Man United had a couple of breakaways and good chances, when you're a player, if I'm a Liverpool player, Liverpool player at that moment in time, I'm I'm being concerned more about that than winning the game. But yeah, Man United Man United turned up, they did what they had to do. I'm trying to step back from looking at yesterday's 19 minutes and look at where Man United are right now and where they go from now to the end of the season. They can't beat a big team. They've not beaten a big team this year. So, yeah, go to Liverpool, dig a result, a result like that. Go to Man City, go to Arsenal. Go to Tottenham, dig out a result like that. And, 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 and you, you want to do a lap of honour for that? There's a, there's Andy one one listener saying why are you going after United this morning and not Liverpool? 
there's nothing to go up. But I'd be critical of Liverpool if there was something to be critical but about. But the onus was on what, Liverpool to break United down. Yeah, well, the, the, the stats would suggest 12 corners for, none against. 70% of possession would tell you they went after them. Was how many shots on target? 18 shots on target? That would tell eight, you a team was trying to win the game. It, well, it tells you that they're profligate. It tells the, the, you if you have 34 the, the, shots on goal I'll, and 25% of them I'll go back to where target. I started with this. Liverpool were guilty of one thing and one thing only yesterday. They, they, they didn't take their chances when they rose. They maybe weren't as creative as, as they have been in the past. But that can happen in any game of football you play in. But the onus is on Liverpool. They're playing But they tried, they tried to win it. But the onus is on Liverpool. They're at home. They're the team in form. Man United are out of form. They're out of sorts. They're structurally wrong at this moment in time. So realistically speaking, it tells you that Liverpool weren't good enough to break oh, you down... Well, you, hey, it's well, not, not good well, enough. Let me, let, me, let me finish the point. You're looking for yours. something that doesn't exist in... Well, I'm, look, I'm, I'm looking at 34 shots on goal, right? And less than 25% of them on target. So that tells me that the quality wasn't there. So that's an observation upon Liverpool. If United have gone into that game knowing that this is a difficult game, they're in a difficult period like teams have. So they're not the team in ascendancy. They're not the team psychologically or literally in ascendancy. So they're going to play the way they're playing at this moment in time to get them results. A nil-nil draw for Man United is a win. Now, you're going back to the teams of 10, 15 years no. ago, which have long gone. So we, we should stop no. characterising Man United this way and start looking at the reality of what we're looking in front of us. United dug out a nil-nil draw at an inform Liverpool side where the onus is upon them to put United to the sword, and they didn't. Liverpool End of discussion. have so many goal scorers. Yeah, they've got a few injured at the moment. Liverpool have a lot of goal scorers, which makes them dangerous, which means normally you don't have to play very well to win football matches when you have goal scorers. You have them in an abundance. But yesterday, it didn't happen. And that can happen in any game of football. It will not, I'll guarantee you, that will not be a regular occurrence for this Liverpool team. They will score goals most weeks. Fantastic. Most weeks, but we weren't talking about that. We were characterising the difference between the two sides. But, but ha happy, you're happy to... You'd be an absolute village idiot to be critical of this Liverpool team. They're entertaining. This is not me talking as a, as a Liverpool supporter. Going back a couple of years when Man City were the uh, still the dominant team, their brand of football in Liverpool's was different. I enjoyed, as a, as a football person, I enjoyed watching Liverpool more mm. than I did City. But I probably tried to get on the front foot quicker than what City did. But, but we, we didn't, we, we, we didn't witness. Game. We but didn't we, witness the predicted goal fest yesterday. In game. fact, we didn't witness one goal. We, it's one game. And, the, and, and, and there's a message there. Liverpool haven't been a big team yet, Graham. The usual rubbish from Liverpool pundits and fans. They're blubbing this Monday morning because it didn't go their way. Cry, suey, cry, says that message. I, I have been in football a long time and I know games like that can happen. Yeah. Where you don't get what you deserve. Post-match, Van Dijk spoke. This was him on Sky Sports. If you see um, how we play the game, how we having most of the ball and creating some opportunities, I think um, there was only one team, I think, that were trying to win the game and unfortunately it didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, so that's why it's frustrating because, you know, we want to win every game, of course, but especially if you play against a team like them. And yeah, in the end, you know, they are buzzing with a point and we are very disappointed with a point. So Roy Keane, straight after that game, called those comments arrogant from Van Dijk um, and then cited the fact that Liverpool had only won the, the, the Premier League once in 30 years and what was he talking about, etc, etc. But was he right to an extent that Van Dijk... Was who right? Roy. I think I think Van I think it's understandable. You're frustrated. It's a game you've dominated, a game you expected to win. Sense of frustration. Could have been a bit more magnanimous in his in his choice of words, but but he was right, wasn't he? 
There was only one team tried to win it. United could have won it, though. Yeah, if there was only one team tried to win it. There's only one team set at the stall before a ball is kicked. In minute, in minute one, they tried to win the game. Man United were in survival mode by the way they set out to play. And don't take my word for it. Stats tell you that. Oh, I know. But would but it not have been more... Do you not think... Where I'd be critical of Van Dijk is, Jim. Get used to it. That's, this is not a new thing for big teams. It would have been the same for Man United when they, they were the dominant force. Teams go to, to uh, Old Trafford, sit in and try and nick the game. This is not a new but, thing for but Liverpool. But why was he focusing on Manchester United? Why didn't Van Dijk focus on his own size deficiencies? But, but I think he touches in that on, they couldn't get he, the ball over the net. He touches on that in, 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 in his, his interview as well. He mentions that. Maybe we should look at ourselves. That's what he said. And, and the initial words, although he could have been maybe a wee bit gentler in his choice of words, I think are correct. There was only one team that tried to win the game. And, and this is born out of frustration. You know, as a, as, a, as a player, as a manager, you're thrown in front of a camera minutes after the final whistle. Emotions are still high. They, you play in a game of football, you get a feel for a game of football. For Van Dyke standing as a spectator for the vast majority of that game, looking at his team, you know, playing in their last third, sorry, yeah, their last, the last third, pummeling away, having no joy, being frustrated, I was surprised that I thought the crowd got a wee bit frustrated yesterday at Anfield, which is, which I, I can honestly say I never witnessed in my time as a manager or a player, not not at that extent. And I think that was born out of frustration by the crowd because of who they were playing, because mm. it was Man United. They get frustrated by that because, listen, they turned up last year and they win 7-0. It was, was it a lucky 7-0? I can't say it was a lucky 7-0, but totally unexpected. So, of course, we're going to win again this week, they're thinking to themselves. Didn't happen. Deal with it. It's not a new thing. Teams going to Anfield, sitting in and trying to nick the game. And Man United have done that, had that experience when they were the top team, of teams going to Old Trafford, sitting and trying to win the game. And when it doesn't happen, I'll bet you wouldn't have to look too long and too hard to find a Man United player saying the exact same thing going back in the last 15, 20 years. No, not that. Yeah, 15, 20 years. Certainly not the last 10 years. But they're not, in spite of what you said earlier, you'd have to be a village idiot to to uh, to criticise Liverpool here. They're not beyond criticism here. Simon's got a point, has he not? I need you to tell me, what, what, where, where is the criticism? Where directly is the criticism? They didn't do the most important I bit. Think Liverpool are the most entertaining side. They're not. They're no. They're not the side they were two or three years ago. They're not the same side, but they're still. The, for me, they're, a, they're 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 the most exciting side to watch. I enjoy watching Liverpool more than I enjoy watching Man City. But I don't think Virgil Van Dijk's observations are are are. are, are arrogant. I think Roy Keane has turned him into something more because Roy Keane is probably sitting in the studio being irritated within an inch of his life by Daniel Sturridge during the course of the broadcast, <laughs> um, which most reasonable people probably would be. Um, and I think Keane is a bit back because he's a United person, yeah. he's a United fan, he's watching Liverpool and their position in the, in the world against Man United's position in the world and he's given it back. It's born at a Roy's frustration yeah. as well, watching yeah. that. But I don't think it's arrogant, I think it's probably, Graham is right, it's a statement of fact. United came not to lose this game. There is a difference between not to lose a game and to win a game. Liverpool came to win a game. I think that's a fair observation. And I don't really think there's anything arrogant about it. I think See, that's I, a mischaracterisation. I think Roy Roy was... I think we're talking like this because Roy got quite emotional about it. But I mean, what, what, what really are they, they talking about? Yeah, we tried to win the game. Only one team tried to win the game. Stats would bear that out. Um, and we're frustrated because we haven't won the game. 
Van Dyke maybe should have been a little bit more magnanimous. I accept that. But the reality is, he's told the truth. There was only one team trying to win the game. Why does he have to be? Why does he have to be magnanimous? Who, who defines... Well, you, who, who, who is the, who is the every, adjudicator of what magnanimity is? Well, well, Roy Keane, give me a break. Yeah, no, but that's the way it is today, isn't it? They're all media trained, these boys today. Well, it's, you know, what you've got was a nice answer from a football mm. player that's been in a game where they think they've dominated it. I think they've been profligate and I think that it was upon them to, to score goals, but notwithstanding it, they're the dominant side. He's asked a question, gives an answer and Keane turns it into a pantomime about arrogance because he's irritated with how crap Man United are. That's about the bottom line. You got. I, I think it was probably yeah. I think Roy got a bit prickly though, Simon, because he was seeing Van Dyke saying, "You know, they came here today the way they play. We should have won that. We, but they didn't. No, they but, didn't. But but that's but, a that's but, a fact. Should, Keane, Van Dyke should be should be saying our guys up front need to take a look at themselves. He's probably bristling at the consequences of Man United's performance because it's a dis, it's a it's a disenfranchising period when you're watching a side that once dominated football that you were synonymous with mm. in the domination mm. and you're watching a side that's a poor version of itself and you cannot find a solution in your own thinking as to why United are structurally, logistically, spiritually, in every other way, a, a poor imitation of what they once were. Mr Graham says they've spent more than a billion quid in 10 years, they've spent 1.7 billion quid and yet they have nothing of a side that resembles ev anything that once was. And that, that and it's, again, it's like the old Monty Python sketch, isn't it? That power is now dead. This is an ex-power. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. This is an ex-Man United <laughs> side. Can you see any positives, Graham? I, I, I'm asking for this. Uh, in, in Manchester United right now, where are the positives? What are the positives? Coming out of a performance like that yesterday, do you see any performances and oh. what they showed us at Anfield? A price on the ticket. If, if you play for a big football club, Man United are a big football club by anyone's standards. You're constantly under the spotlight. Some, and then individually as a player, some people need a lot of praise and to be confident to, to get to get the best out of you or for them to play to their best. Right now, Man United are a team not playing with a great deal of confidence, constantly under the spotlight, constantly getting criticised. And it's, you know, you, you really have to stand up and be counted at this time. The, the big players in that dressing room, if there is any, have to stand up and carry the lesser lights with them. And there's not, there's not any great signs of that. So what they get from yesterday is, I, I said in my column, Daily Mail on a Saturday. I said, if if you know, I can't see Man United. But it's only one win. But if Man United were to win, there is no better game for them to get a confidence booster than going to Anfield and win, or mm. winning. Mm. That didn't happen. But they got a draw, and they will take some confidence from that. So going forward, yeah, they'll be better. But uh, Man United cannot play like that every week. They can't go and play. With all due respect to the, the teams near the bottom, they can't go and try and nick games against Burnley or or whoever else is down there. The, le the lesser teams. It's Man United we're talking about. They they have to play a brand of football which is 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 in their DNA. They you know you go back to days of George Best. They were front foot football and the great entertainers, the glamorous. Yeah. In Germany, they call Bayern Munich FC Hollywood. That's what if you play for Man United. That's what Man United, they, they get more headlines, more interest in them than any other football club. They are the team that you would say in our league is FC Hollywood. And okay. deal with it. If you're a player there, you have to deal with it. Your 100% essential download, Outspoken with White and Jordan. One thing, Simon, we should mention, and I know there'll be a huge rolling of eyes in some quarters. Oh, really? Was it that bad? Well, it would be remiss of us not to mention this. The, the Manchester United team bus... Uh, came under fire yesterday, bottles as it arrived at Anfield. 
pre-match. What was it like in your day, Graham? When when we played it, every game at Anfield was big. Of course, it was. But when you played United, it was it, it was a massive game. You ever see scenes like this? No, no, no. One hundred percent, no, never. And it's so wrong. And this is not the first time Anfield. I mean, that's taken it to another level, which we can just do with that. Just. It, what does it do? Would it put me off as a player? Not in the slightest. They think they're going to intimidate the Man United players? Not in the slightest. I um, didn't witness it when we went to Manchester or anywhere else. That never happened. That is something which they have to eradicate. And I'll tell you a quick story. I was working for Sky and I went to um, Rome to see Man United, Man United playing. Was it Barcelona that played in Rome? Yeah, yeah. And I arrived at Rome Airport. I travelled on my own and I'm... And I made the call because my car wasn't there to pick me up. I stood for an hour outside the airport in Rome and there was plain loads of Man United supporters came off the bus, off the, off the, off the plane, walking through the airport and I was spotted. I never got one bit of criticism from them. Not one bit of criticism. And I thought, fair play, you know, acting properly. Um, for me, I, cause, and I actually, for a good 15 years, I lived in the Manchester area. Never got any crit. Not, 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 yeah, a few shouts, but nothing that would um, yeah. keep me awake at night. And I thought that was that was fantastic behaviour. So when I hear about our, when I hear about Liverpool supporters throwing bottles and anything else at a team bus, I mean, I have to believe that's kids with, you know, they must be on something. To do well, they, I mean, these clowns are letting their club down. Uh, I, don't, I don't associate Liverpool a club with such great history. Uh, such a, a, a dignity about the football club and yet they've got fans like this Simon one video this morning producer Luke and I were looking at it on social media there's some character filming a bottle an empty bottle of cider and then tells us what he's, a, he's about to do and pitches it right times it perfectly I have to say but pitches it and it bounces off the United team coach. Liverpool, uh, suffice to say, were prompted to put out a statement that the club utterly condemns the actions that led to damage being caused to the United team bus during its arrival. I mean, for for fear of, as I say, a, a lot of people around the country saying, well, God, get over it. These things happen. No, they shouldn't happen, Simon. And I don't know what you do to eradicate it. Do you need to have more police yeah, in that em. area when they arrive? Nick them. Have more police around. If that's what if that's, I mean, the reality of it is, is that it's very difficult for Liverpool Football Club to be entirely responsible for a group of fans outside the stadium and what they do and don't do. And of course, it will be the football club that that suffers the consequences of their behaviour. And Graham is probably right. It's a bunch of twitty little kids that are, you know, away with themselves. And what can you do about it? What can you do about that? But you think the police CCTV everywhere? You would think they get they get them on CCTV. And then they've got cameras all around the stadium, so they follow them, they know what they're dressed in, they can home in on them, they follow them to where they enter the stadium, and when they enter the stadium, they can then pick them up on another camera, go nick them. Why does it not happen yeah, instantly? But the police will say and ban them for life. The police, Just ban them for life. The police will say on match day that they can't necessarily oh. do that because they've got far too many other things to be doing. But what you could do is you could have a greater level of policing, certainly on flashpoint games like this, where it's not beyond the wit of man to understand that there's going to be some people that want to behave in a fashion which is unacceptable to either the, the awake foot club or the home club in this instance and put more police there and nick them. The mm. rivalry is a tremendous rivalry, a historical rivalry. And it's spoiled. Well, keep Why it, we, keep it the fact that we're, we're, I mean, we're even talking about it. And how sad is it? Are those people really happy today that, you know, they've got headlines in newspapers 
that will be mentioned, not just in our programme, other people talking about them throwing a bottle at a bus. Yeah. Is that really what Liverpool well, are about? Not just a bottle, a few bottles uh, thro- thrown at the coaches that arrived. But as you rightly say, Graham, I often think, well, what would it be like sitting in that? But if I was a top player, I'm going to play in that game, I'm focused on the game, etc. Would it, would it just affect wind me? You up. Not a bit. Just wind not you a up. bit. I'd want to go out there and do a job in them. Yeah. You know, Just on the make, team that they support. Make you more motivated if you're Ex- about it. Exactly. But there's no logic to it. I mean, you're, you're trying to understand these people, like trying to understand that someone would go into a game against Leeds United and sing about people that got killed in a football match, that fans that sing about tragedy chanting. What? What? This is a cousin of that. This happens to be a physical manifestation of poor behaviour. But when you've got football fans forever and a day singing hateful songs to one another, you know, what do you do about that? It's yeah. a, as I say, it's a cousin of that sort of behaviour. And if you can understand these people... If you can relate to these people by understanding what they're thinking, then you've got a problem as well. What does that tell us, Simon? There's a message. This happens a lot with Liverpool and their fans, albeit a minority. They need to sanction the club. I mean, they did. Uh, they get fined twenty thousand euros, Liverpool, um, well, some time ago when they did when they they big be Liverpool to City. fans. Otherwise, you'll get MPs writing to you. <laughs> but I mean, they, they do need to do something, do they not? It's pitiful. It's yeah, pitiful. It's, it's pathetic and it's sad it's and it's everything else. It's, it's embarrassing, embarrassing the football club. Yeah, yeah, embarrassing yeah. the football club. Absolutely. Yeah. So it nick them. Nick them. It's not, it's, you know, put more police on and arrest them and ban oh, them from the football you know, stadium. What, what's Anfield famous for? Hard place to win. The best atmosphere as far as I'm concerned. Ask any player from my generation, where did you enjoy playing most? It was Anfield. Oh, and it's also famous for what other? Oh, they throw bottles at your bus when you arrive. They got it. Catch them, catch them, nick them and ban them for life. Hold that please, level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi, now the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what, sorry? The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Of course, for those who don't know, um, there was a, a moment of real anxiety 
down at the match at the weekend at the Vitality Stadium between Bournemouth and Luton Town. Now, I was actually watching Soccer Saturday, the, the one that Simon Thomas now presents, one-time Jeff Stelling, and there was all sorts of consternation as the game stopped. Uh, the, the focus of attention very much focused on the Luton Town captain, Tom Lockyer, who had collapsed on the pitch. We subsequently found out that Tom had suffered a cardiac arrest on the pitch during Saturday's game. And the game thereafter went no further. The game was suspended. Since then, Tom has remained in hospital. It's, it's actually my understanding he's moved, been moved to a London clinic and he's undergoing tests and scans and is awaiting the results before the next steps for his recovery are determined. Um, all sorts of uh, all sorts of things spring to mind here, and what sprung to mind with me was uh, the former Luton and Newport County player Fraser Franks, whose career was brought to um, an abrupt end. Simon, you and I have spoken to Fraser on numerous occasions. Indeed. His career came to an end at the at the age of uh, twenty eight because of a similar situation, because of a heart condition. So just before we came on air this morning, knowing that Graeme was in here, having had his heart problems of his own uh, in recent years, we decided to speak to Fraser and we asked him what his feelings were when he saw what had unfolded at the game on Saturday between Bournemouth and Luton and to Tom Lockyer. I was actually listening to Talk Sport, so I didn't I didn't see the incident, but I, I could hear Adrian Durham talking about it and you could tell it was serious. But thank God, by you know, even even by the time that I was listening in the car, they said he was responsive, and yeah, it's a it's a scary one, but not just for for you know, especially for Tom and his family, but you know, you look at people in the stadium, and you know, there are kids there and families, and there's a lot of uncertainty. It's um, it's a really scary moment for anyone involved or anyone that's that's seeing it, and it, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing it. Well, I know that it did. It, it touched a lot of people that other weekend. Fraser, you had to retire at 28 due to your own heart condition. Was that a decision that you took or was that decision taken out of your hands? I wanted it taken out of my hands. I didn't want to have to make a decision of, you know, this is up to you. You could go back and these are the risks. I wanted someone to say it's a it's a yes or a no for me. And uh, originally I, I saw a couple of different specialists and, and one would say, we think you may be able to go back if we manage this and that. And then the last specialist I saw, which was a, an amazing guy, he he said to me, if you were my son, I'd be saying there's not a chance you're going back on a football pitch. And that was all I needed to hear. He took it out of my hands, which I was incredibly grateful for because I didn't want to, I didn't want to go back with worry or any kind of feeling, not just for me, but you know, this is my family that are having to, you know, go through this as well. So the decision was was pretty much taken out of my hands at that point. So Fraser, when you when you look at Tom's situation, this is the second time in a year that Tom Lockyer has collapsed on the pitch due to heart issues. What's his direction going forward, do you think? It's a really difficult one without knowing all the ins and outs of the actual condition that he's got. Um, I, I looked at an interview that he did when he was talking about collapsing in the player final and he he didn't suffer a cardiac arrest that day and he said he had a minor heart operation. I think the quote that he used was, if you were going to have a heart condition, this is the mildest one you could have and then said he'd, he'd been cleared to play and that kind of thing. But when you suffer a cardiac arrest, it, it's just a whole different board game. And because I've done quite quite a lot of work in this area. I've, I've, I've managed to sit down and have a conversation with Christian Eriksen, who has got a, a defibrillator in his chest. 
he felt it was and was told it was safe enough to him for him to go back if he had another cardiac arrest this device would go off again charlie white that's that's playing for wigan has got a it's actually a pretty big device in in the side of his body uh, again if he has a cardiac arrest it goes off it's such a difficult one because this isn't a knee or an ankle it's it's your heart and it's the you know the organ that that keeps everything functioning and alive and you have to look and say you know there are there are much more important things in football and I've I've realised that when I've come away from it, you know. You mentioned Christian Eriksen again, Fraser. In Italy, we know there are, there are more stringent laws around uh, footballers with heart conditions. Eriksen, we know, was no longer allowed to play for Inter Milan after he had an ICD fitted. Do, do you think English football might have to go in a similar direction? I actually didn't. I wasn't actually aware of that in Italy. So that's really interesting. I do know a few other people that have that device um, fitted, and and for me, it's. It's the risk and reward. You know, I was I was coming to, I was 28 years old when I retired. You know, if this had happened to me at 16 and I'd never kicked a ball before, I'd have probably been adamant that, no, I was going to do everything I can to go out and, you know, get back on the pitch. But I was 28 years old. You know, my daughter was about to be born. And I, I took a wider view that, you know, this is much more important than, than me getting another five or six years as a professional footballer with all the risks, you know, attached to it. I feel so sorry for him because he's had a hell of a journey as well, um, Tom Lockyer. But there will come a point, you know, during this next weeks and months where that decision will be made. I hope it's taken out of his hands. Whichever way it is, I really hope it's, it's you know, taken out of his hands and someone says to him, this is what should happen now. And it will be difficult. And I'm not saying that it will be that he has to retire, but I, I really hope that decision's taken out of his hands. Well, it was taken out of Fraser's hand, Simon, as he said in that. And one of the, the, the chief medical people who were looking after him said, well, if you were my son, yeah, probably wouldn't want you to play again. One wonders where Tom Lockyer is going with this. From Luton's point of view, um, they obviously quite rightly are allowing him and his family to, time to gain a full recovery if that can be done. Uh, and they'll all consider the best options going forward. I think Tom has been moved to a London clinic and we wish him well. The thing is, he, he, Tom collapsed during that playoff final win against Coventry back in May, Simon. He, did, yeah. he had an atrial fibrillation, um, which it, it, it involves someone with an irregular and often heart, yeah, abnormally yeah. fast heart rate, which Tom Tom had. Um, but was given the all clear to return to play again in June. Well, that's what Leeds is looking at. I mean, again, there's a whole raft of responses there, isn't there? There's another uh, ailment called supraventriculitis, which is when you bypass the, the regulation of your heart and it knocks your heart out, out of rhythm and you can go up to 250, 260. My, ex, my ex-partner had that. Um, and clearly to have got him back on the pitch, for him to be playing in the Premier League, Luton weren't short of a bob or two. We can see that the obligations upon the English, the English FA about how players are screened. This has been a person that's been cleared to go back into the fold, we've obviously got the Christian Eriksen phenomenon mm. where most people that saw what happened to him would have never envisaged a situation where he can get back on the pitch. Obviously, the situation with Tom, we don't know what that what that circumstance is. And with Fraser, he says that it was taken out of his hands. It will always be in your hands in the end because you have to make the decision. What you're given is the advice and whether you choose to abide by that advice is a different matter and how compelling the advice is. Right now, we've seen a player suffer from something that appears to be similar to what he suffered in the playoff final last year, yet he was managed and, and able to get back on the pitch. 
I would imagine at this stage in his career, 28, 29 years of age, playing in the Premier League, he's going to want to explore every opportunity to try and continue to play professional football. And the advice that he's given is going to be key to making the right decision for himself in the short, intermediate and long term. Well, I mean, the, the, the key thing here, Graham, all right, it can happen here. And if all's well, obviously, fingers crossed, we hope all is well with him. And he gets a chance to play on. He may well play on. He wouldn't have that chance if he was playing in Italy. Because Ericsson was stopped from continuing his playing career at Inter after uh, having an ICD fitted following his cardiac arrest. Italy doesn't allow footballers to play with a defibrillator. Well, it's different rules there, obviously. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, you're putting a hell of a lot of um, trust in technology, aren't you? You know, you cardiac arrest, your heart stops, you're away. And then this thing kicks in and gets you going again. Um, I think for Tom at 29 years old, I think. And interestingly, you, you mentioned atrial fibrillation, which I've had two episodes of that. And I'm amazed that he could still play with atrial fibrillation because for me, it was like someone turning the oxygen off. And I've had two, two operations to correct that. And it involves going up into the right-hand side of your heart where you have nodes that control the electric, electrical signals that fire your heart. And um, in the first case with me, they went in and they cryoed them where they, they froze them. And the second time, they burnt them. And right now, touch wood, I'm, I'm back. But because of my previous heart issues, there's every chance I'll go back into it. But atrial fibrillation knocks you sideways. It really does. It, it just drains you of all your energy. So if Tom has had that on top of his other issues, then it's going to be a hard call for him to go back. And at 29, I think what Fraser said as well is so true. When you're a football player, you're totally immersed in your job. You're, you're loving every minute of it. And it's just the best life you can imagine. And unfortunately, it doesn't go on for, for long enough. But it's just fantastic. You'd be so reluctant to give that up. But then when you come out of it, you realise you've still got a lot of growing up to do. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you know, you're in a dressing room with young men and you act like a kid even when you're 30 plus. And when you come out of that, there's still a lot of growing up and a hell of a lot of life after that. So the bigger picture for me would dictate Tom's move next, whether it's to just pack it in. Why risk something? Because, you know, worst case scenario, you... you, you have another arrest and you don't come out of it mm. or you have another arrest and you're damaged in some way it's fascinating to see the journey that Ericsson went on I mean the challenge for Tom and Graham is obviously right because your health and the life that you can have outside of football is going to be far more compelling the poor kid's just landed in the Premier League he's just landed in the Premier League he's played his career at Bristol Rovers mm. and Charlton in the lower echelons of the of the uh, English Football League, he's landed in the big league, and he yeah. looks like he loves every minute he's on the pitch. Absolutely, he's, he's relishing. And so, the, I mean, what everyone will look at now. I mean, it's interesting to see why the Italians, why, why we would have a different rule about ICDs than the Italians have. They can have as much corruption in their league, but they can't have people on the pitch with uh, defibrillators. Would it be an insurance claim angle? But it seems to be a medical situation. I thought it, I thought it was initially that Inter, Inter couldn't get him insured. It's not that. It's the governance of the league that doesn't mm. allow them to play with an ICD, whereas we do. Interesting one. You'd have thought that the biggest league in the world would have slightly more restrictions on it economically, but it doesn't yeah, appear to I have think, that. I think, I think for Tom, where he is in his life, he'll have, I'm sure, does he have children, do we know? I don't know. You know that, that, that's a bigger picture moving forward. I... I and I was just what I wanted to say was yeah worst case scenario you have an arrest and you don't come back from that mm. but you could have an arrest and come back but be damaged in some way yeah and Tom's got a lot of life after football Graham for somebody who's very close to this 
Toppy having had a, a, a triple heart bypass. The FA tell us that the programme, English the, the English professional game, has the most comprehensive cardiac screening programme of any sport in the UK. The programme begins with a, a screen for all boys and academies at under 15. It's funded by the clubs. There's a further screen from all players signing professional forms at under 17. That's funded, Simon, by the PFA. You'll be keen to know that. And the FA provides the administrative support and sets of protocols for the screening. The FA's cardiac advisory panel recommends that a further screen is performed in the professional game at the ages of 18, 20 and 25. Mm -hmm. Now that does sound, as they rightly say, comprehensive. One wonders why it's not carried out on an annual basis. Should it not be? Well, maybe, well, maybe the clubs do. Um, when I was in Italy, and that's a long time ago playing, they, they, they certainly did that. Um, but anyone, now whether it's up until 25, <laughs> they're saying to them, any, abnormal, any abnormalities up until 25 would show themselves, so we'll keep an eye on you if it was to show anything. But for someone like Tom, I would imagine it'd be monitored. He must have been on a programme where it'd be monitored every six months, three months. Um, because once you've, had a, once you've fallen over once, when the chances are you're going to do it again, especially when you're putting the demands on your body that professional football does. I mean, it must be, it must have been scary for him at the time. It'll be, this will be scary again for him. And he has, he has big decisions ahead to make. But I, there must be a reason why they stopped doing it at 25. Did you have screening at Palace, Simon? I was trying to think that. I, th I mean, obviously, when you buy a player and you sign a player, you put them for a basic medical, and a basic medical would be driven by things like an ECG. So you'd be looking for irregular heart rhythms by putting a player on an exercise machine and, and monitoring his heart. Um, it would be, I think, the FA setting protocols out. It would obviously be the clubs. The clubs are the ones that would determine whether they're going to have a medic. I, I think there's a natural assumption, like there is in life, we don't walk around. I mean, at, football players are athletes. They work on a higher level of conditioning and fitness than other people. So I'm not sure that clubs would feel the necessity. Okay, we've had this recent phenomenon. It is, um, but the point is, is that is that clubs, if it if it were it's not. It's not a huge expense to have a heart scan. But can I, it's can not I a huge tell you, expense. Having all the tests really still doesn't identify everything, and I'm, I know that from own experience. So you have an ECG, and then my one came up normal. Yeah, then that the, my uh, my problem arose because I had two uncles that died in the thirties, and they were worried because I was managing. I was. I told them I wasn't sleeping, and I, and I went for an ECG. Yeah, it's fine. You, then you can have an ECG under pressure, and it's called the Bruce Protocol, where you're on a treadmill, and increase the pace of the treadmill yeah. and increase the angle of Incline. the treadmill itself. Yeah. Um, I got up to, I think it was 18 minutes, and they, were, they, were, they said to me, wow, you know, because I was still extremely fit. I was 38 years old. And they said, there can't be anything wrong with you, but some of the signals are not, not quite right. So they said to me, you can go away and forget about it, but the only other test you can have is the angiogram, where the go in at the ground and push a die through your through your um, your arteries around your heart and they can see what's going on. And that was what identified, for me anyway, I had three arteries that were, that were 75-80% blocked and they decided to go for an operation. But I, I, I showed no signs of, you know, there was never breathlessness, I never had any pains, I just wasn't sleeping. That's what drove me to have the ECG in the first place and it highlighted it. So I was extremely fit, I was doing... In fact, at 30, I'd stopped playing, managing Liverpool, and I had, that, I had the bug for fitness. So I would train in the morning with the players, 
And then I'd have my lunch, hang around a bit, Mel would do whatever I had to do, go back in the gym, I'd go home and have a sleep. And then I'd go back to, I lived in Mere, which is over in Cheshire, I'd go back in the gym then, and I was single at the but time. yours was a congenital defect, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, but it didn't show itself, that's show. the problem. Whereas, whereas <laughs> Ericsson's and maybe Tom Lockyer's is something something different. The thing I can't get my head around, Graham, and you, you, I, I suppose, I, I, and I think I'm right, you can talk with with first-hand knowledge of what you came through. Uh, Lockyer, for Lockyer to have collapsed in that playoff final... They should have um, been all over him. But but then subsequently had heart surgery and then was given the all-clear to return playing in he June. He would have had what I had. Then did. They get promoted in the Premier League. It doesn't really matter, I suppose, what environment he's playing in, but he was still... So, uh, the demands are, are, once are severe. Once had the, the op- and he carried on. The operation for atrial fibrillation is an ablation. And this is where they go in at the heart. They put a wire up into inside your heart and they knock out these nodes to try to get the signal back into, into sync. Yeah. And it sounds like he's had that. So, and that's corrected it. But I would imagine there must have been all over him. You know, I don't believe if you're, I don't believe he had his episode, had his ablation to correct his atrial fibrillation, then they have not monitored him in some way between then and now. Like I, did, I, I would imagine that would be impossible to happen in modern sport today. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they had very good reason, med- medically, extremely sound reason to allow him to carry on playing, Simon. Of course. And, of course, ultimately, so would the insurers of the club, because the players will be insured. So the first thing that will happen is the players, the, the club's insurance policy will be kicking in, saying, well, what's happening with this player? So there'll be, even if there's not, even if there wasn't that motivation, which there would be, because Luton are a club that prides itself on where it's come from, where it's going, its journey, it's the value of the players and all that, that's gone on with Luton. That's not to suggest other clubs don't. So I would think there were very comprehensive and succinct medical reasons as to why he was allowed back on the pitch. Mm. And, unfor- <laughs> and unfortunately, what you've got now is what looks like a recurrence. Yeah. I mean, the, the FA says English uh, professional game has the most comprehensive cardiac screening programme of any sport in the UK. Having said that... That doesn't that, mean it's perfect. That, I'm just about to say that, Graham, and I think you're that right. That doesn't mean it's perfect. That doesn't mean it's perfect. But, but, it, but I don't again, understand speak, the cut-off point. It doesn't Jim. speak to the clubs. The clubs, the clubs are the employees of the players. What we're talking about is the FA's governance, the minimum basic requirements... This is what the the FA's obligation. This is what you are as a football club. You sign up to the FA Charter, whether it's an academy or whether it's your players. And their governance suggests the minimum requirement is you must have X, Y, Z amount of heart See. checks. And that does not mean that the clubs themselves aren't doing much more yeah, because no, they're the, the ultimate employers. When you Simon, when you can be, you'd be a the the, the asset value of a player today can exactly. be hundred million pounds. That's my mm. point. It's very much in your interest to make sure every single part of his operating. But you can never assume anything it's, in football, can you, Graham? You know what it's like in this Wild West sometimes. There is this half-baked mentality towards things. But I would be surprised. I would be surprised Sam, if there isn't proper thought processes. Sam, you only have to look at, you have a, look at a bench today. And they've got a sports scientist and they've got Great, but you, you, large you've got, you've got medical Newcastle teams. signing a player that's got a gambling addiction. I can't yeah, play that, that for that, you. That, you I, I'm not sure if you can put any monitor on someone to... <laughs> no, but, but <laughs> to what, I'm about, what I'm talking about is the thought processes to evaluate how people's behaviour yeah, is. Yeah, but this is a black, that's not a black and white one as much as there's nothing you could... Other than someone telling you he's got a gambling problem, that's not going to identify itself. In the medical terms, you'd have to believe that... the Well, you of, played and you managed. Josh how many of your players... You, you can speak to it. I can speak to it as an owner, but you as a manager and a player, you can speak to it. How many times did you have heart? Scans when you played? Absolutely none. 
Right. And how many times are you aware, as a manager up until 2006, which was still a very lucrative time in football and transfer fees were going at 30, 40, 50 million quid then, how many players did you have medically scanned for heart I, conditions on, I would a, on assume, a yearly basis? I would, I would certainly when, when you bought them. Absolutely. We all concur yeah, and, with that. And, and as we know, these, these conditions can develop. develop slowly or quickly. I mean, we 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 and Kieran Dyer sitting in that very chair. You're sitting in now, Graham. Last week, saying he played most of his professional career with with liver disease. Mm, yeah, I know that he, could, he couldn't keep himself fit. And what a player he was, and what he could have achieved. Because I mean, can you imagine? He what was he operating on? Seventy percent his career, um, but he knew he had a major problem coming down the, the line for him, and that's. Great news that's worked. But did you see him. it? I mean, I, I don't. Yeah, only, it. only it only showed itself because he couldn't keep himself fit. Yeah, but no, I'm talking about the idea of heart scans because I I made the point I wouldn't be surprised in the football world that we live in that they didn't do it. We are both saying with the, with the value of the asset, you think that they did, mm. but the value of the assets has been significant for significant periods of time, and all that's gone is a scale. Yeah, but apart from the obvious monetary aspect, they have such large medical teams today. Mm-hmm. They have more than just the one doctor. I mean, these big clubs, as I said, look on match day, the amount of people that sit behind the, the playing staff. So you'd like to think... That they would have... They would have everything, everything covered. Mm. Yeah, yeah and, and certainly now, you would think no stone left unturned yeah, in I, this I, area. I, 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 I imagine it is like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk, Interestingly, can you, can you do the same things now? Uh, and live life as normally I, as you I, did for, before your triple heart bypass. Yes, it's over channel, thirty it? years. It's over thirty years since I've had it, and I have. There's nothing I've not done the last year, thirty years that couldn't have done. It's 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 been great for me. Still here. I mean, you prided yourself in your fitness when you played. I mean, and, yeah. and your your level of fitness is still very important to yeah. you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's about quality of life. I am. Um, I got really lucky because I've I've escaped. With no ankle, knee, or hip problems, um, just dodgy arteries, coronary arteries. I'd rather have a dodgy knee, though. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Rangers won themselves a trophy yesterday uh, in Glasgow. The Vitality Cup. Uh, what is that? It's the League Cup. Taverniers goal saw Rangers beat Aberdeen one nil. It's the first Scottish League Cup in more than 12 years. What does it tell us, Graham? Is it, has this come at a very important time for Clement, get him, getting him off to an early winning start? Well, he's had that, hasn't he? Is that 16 games now without defeat? I mean, he's made a great start. Unbeaten, yeah. Um, was he your choice? or You were Lampard? Yeah, I, it was him or, him or Frank. I yeah. think Frank's had the slight edge only because um, he... I, I, I was concerned about... And I have in the past as well, and I've, I've been proved to be right. Managers going into the West of Scotland with zero experience of the West of Scotland football scene it is brutal up there. But he's managed that, and he's done very, very well. And 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 fair play to him. You know, I um when we interviewed him, he was very impressive. Spoke well. You know, I was trying to come up with tricky questions for him, and he he batted them away beautifully. Um, he's got presence, and the players will listen to him. He's, he's got a wee bit of luck along the way, but every manager needs that. And it's onwards and up, upwards for them. They, they, they are, you know, confidence is such a big part. My experience of the West of Scotland, you can be top of the league and not playing very well, but this team below you can be the, the informed team playing well, but they've drawn a game or lost a whole firm game. And they, that's where all the focus is on the team yeah. that's second. They get all the criticism, all the spotlight, negative. And, and wearing a Rangers shirt, and it must be the same for Celtic players, some, 
some players, some big players, find wearing those shirts very, very heavy. And um, you want the spotlight on the team, the other team, not you, because it's, as you well know, from the west of Scotland, it's, it can be brutal up there. Well, they won it, the Viable Cup. This was Clement post-match. I think if you feel this, it creates a certain hunger for more. That's my mentality and that's always how I've been. Um, and I see this more and more in the dressing room. Doesn't mean we're going to win all the games all season. That's not realistic, but we need to push to, to win all the games all season and to try to get that. And if you have this mentality with the way we want to play football, with the way everything is analysed, with the quality we have, we, we can do uh, really good things. You like the sounds of this guy, Simon? I really did. When I saw him in his first press conference, I thought to myself, hmm, yeah, I think he's got the chops. We'll see. They've got two games in hand over Celtic. You know, they win those games, they go top of the league. They play Celtic, you know, virtually a game after that. It's an interesting time. It's great for Scottish football because it's no good one side dominating that league. It's great that Rangers are back in the mix. I think he's a proper manager. And I, when I saw him in his first press conference, he was very solid. And of course, words are cheap. It's easy to be someone that can say something that's much more difficult to deliver, but he's not only backed up the look and feel of it, he's now substantiating it. And we'll see, they've got two games coming up, I guess, St. Johnson's and Motherwell. Those two games, if they win those two games, if, if Celtic don't yeah. play in the middle of it, they go top of the league. When I watch them play, I think it's, you know, you hear the trotted out all the time um, for people who don't understand him. He plays the game the right way. Mm. But I think he's realised, what, what a manager has to do is get the best out of the group he's working with, and he's doing that. He mixes it up. It's not always rolled out from the back and it's tippy-tappy stuff on on your own 18-yard line. You go long. You'll involve the two big strikers they have. Um, so I'm 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 confident he's going to do really well at Rangers. I mean, he'll, he'll need some help. I think, we, you know, I think they still need to get, you know, a couple of players in. So hopefully the board can help him with that. But I think they're on the right road with this guy. I mean, you, you wonder where Celtic are going at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I noticed sack the board was ringing out um, when they lost 2-0 to Hearts Does Hacks that not tell you everything about the West of Scotland? Is that they've won 11 leagues at the last 12 years. It's Christmas time, they're sitting top of the league. It tells you everything you need to know about, about the West of Scotland. Depends where it's coming from. If it's coming from segments of the green grade that have been let back in again, you understand why that, why that motivation's there, don't you? <laughs> well, they, they, they officially haven't been let back they're in. They've not been let back in. But they, they could be in here, there, and yeah. you never know. Uh, Celtic got it to do at the moment, but certainly you find that hard to believe, as you rightly say, Graham, with Celtic having won the title 11 after uh, in the past 12 seasons, and yet you hear calls like that. I'm, I'm sure that Peter Lowell and the rest have got ideas as to how they're going to combat any resurgence from Rangers. But Rangers won up the Viable the Via Play Cup, which is the Scottish League Cup won by them under Philippe Clement yesterday so the man has hit the ground running of that there is no doubt he's unbeaten in his first 15 games and has won silverware just two months after his appointment your 100% essential download Outspoken with White and Jordan thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan please leave us a five star review whatever you get your podcast from we'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.